props. No, it's not props. Well, good morning. It's always a pleasure to see you all, especially Thanksgiving weekend's coming up. Isn't that exciting? It's going to be hanging out with your family. I know some of you are sweating, going, oh, with my family. Uh, well, let me just give you some encouragement here. You know, it's the holidays, which means you get to talk about all the things you're grateful for. And guess what? You can talk about Jesus openly and willingly at that point. Just talking about how much, how thankful you are for Jesus. So as you know, I, I um, like to encourage you guys to read the word of God. I'm going to encourage you to read Psalm 72, verses 12 through 14. Psalm 72, verses 12 through 14. I encourage you guys to always be in prayer. Well, here's something that's going on at our church here coming up in December. There's two things in your bulletin. We're going to be doing first this Christmas tree lighting. That's going to happen on December 2nd. You are all welcome. Everyone is invited. We're inviting people from all over the place. And it's going to be a simple time where from 6 to 7.30, essentially, there's going to be uh, coffee and hot chocolate and some, you know, some little you know, uh, desserts to eat. But we're going to be singing songs uh, about the Lord and on Christmas Day or on, about Christmas, and then we're going to have a tree lighting right at the very end, and there'll be a great time with some fake snow, not real snow, but like foaming snow, and it's going to be a good time, and there'll be a place to take pictures, just a wonderful time to outreach to our community, and it's free. We want people to take part in that, and so please remember this date, and then part of this Christmas tree lighting, we are looking for Christmas decorations if you have some at home that you can be praying over and saying, hey, God, what do you want me to get rid of so that other people may know Jesus, right? Because that's what we're doing. We're going to be decorating a tree. So things like this, plastic, we're looking to see if you have anything at home that you just want to donate here, and we'll put on the tree for that day. So uh, look in your stuff, see what's there. And then lastly, something else, right, to be in prayer about. Because remember, we want to reach the, the unchurched, reach the community for Christ to let them know that we're here and we love them. On the back of this little pamphlet, you will see that we're doing workshops on the following week of December, hold on, I gotta get my, December 9th. And there's workshops there that will be very much involved about helping the community to be more involved with Christmas, opportunities for us to pray with people, be involved with people, an opportunity for you to talk about it. Uh, with your neighbors to say, hey, we're doing these things with Christmas. Um, you can see what's there, like gingerbread houses, woodworking, jewelry, watercolor, centerpiece, cars. I mean, the whole nine yards. It's Christmas, 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 Christmas. So keep that in prayer. And if you're not going to be able to participate in any of that, please keep that in prayer. Because really, everything is fueled by prayer. And prayer makes a difference. Yes, God is sovereign. He is in control of all things. But somehow our prayers, he uses them. I don't know how it works. I just know it gives me hope and gives me joy to think about what he's doing. Amen? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer since we speak about this. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you have done and being who you are. God, we just ask now that you help us focus on what you want us to know about you and to remind us that we are forgiven. Lord, we're coming up here to Thanksgiving, a time where 
People are nervous. People are stressed. Some people it's joyful, but we know that things can go wrong very easily for people with high expectations. God, we pray that this would be a time, especially after today of hearing your word, that that you'll show us something to be either A, thankful for, or maybe create something within us that at our Thanksgiving time that we'll be able to talk about that. To talk about the wonders of your word. So God, bless us now as we come to your word. And put away any concern, any heartache. Lord, if there's physical pain that's going on, Lord, we pray that you just dampen it for a moment so that we can hear your voice and know that you love us. Be with those who are not here today. Be with the churches that are meeting all around the world. And Lord, encourage them as with us to continually spread your kingdom. To know and remember that the gates of hell will not pass through your church. And we can be confident in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So in our recent context of Thessalonians, we, Paul has been speaking about Christ's return, what it will be like on that day. He's been getting, giving truth after truth, and he has stated things like, it'll come unexpectedly, no one really knows when the end will come, and it will be a day of judgment for non-believers, and Christ is going to come in furious wrath to bring sin to an end, and justice will be done for all the wrongdoings in this world. And Paul has characterized or summarized the unbelieving world as not just being in darkness, but also the fact that they're darkness itself, meaning they're living without Christ, without faith in Christ. But he's also, amongst that dreadful news, has stated wonderful news for those of us who do believe in Christ. Wonderful news when he does return. He has stated, in, for, uh, for example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. For Paul here has said that believers do not, do not have to worry about the end or do do not have to worry about judgment day. We do not have to live in worry about Christ's return or fear of Christ's return. Because if we have faith in Christ, we're no longer in darkness at all. But rather, we are now summarized, characterized as children of light, children of the day. Meaning that faith, through faith in Christ, all Christians are new creations they are God's children. We are God's children. And we now represent the inheritance of the day to come to dwell with Christ forever. That is our status. Everyone's status who has placed their faith in Jesus. No exceptions. That is the truth of who we are now as believers. For the day of judgment for us. Right? The day of judgment that will we'll, we'll hopefully, it could be today or at some point, we will see when Christ comes back, it will be a day of our vindication for what he has done for us, all through faith in him. So with this wonderful news that Paul has essentially covered for what Christians can expect on that day, Paul then now moves on to what 
the consequence should be or should come about our lives with believing such news, believing that such a great day is coming. Because the more we learn then and dwell on the truth, the gospel truth of the day that's coming, we'll live hopefully more in the freedom that we have in Jesus. I mean, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, the truth will set you free. So Paul here then begins to explain what being set free looks like in our lives with these glorious truths as we live in expectation of Christ's return. Or actually, to be more blunt, Paul begins to answer the questions of, so what? Who cares? What difference does Christ coming back make to me in regard to my life problems and issues? What does it matter to me about that day? Because right now I'm trying to deal with the physical pain of my body breaking down. Why should I care about that day? Because right now I'm dealing with major, major relational issues with my spouse, my child, my friend, whatever. Does that day of Christ's return really make a difference to the fact that I might lose my job at the end of the year? Does knowing and believing this day of the Lord that is coming really make a difference in our lives? Or is it just something that we know and we move on? Well, Paul's answer is a very adamant yes. Yes, it does make all the difference, or at least it should. So our title then is Living in Light of Christ's Return. And we're going to go over 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, or at least through the beginning of verse 8. So we're going to look at our text and see what Paul has to say. He says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Now, with speaking of others sleeping, Paul here is contrasting unbelievers, that's the others, and to believers, the us. The question then is, what does he mean to not sleep like unbelievers? Is there a position that maybe, no, I'm joking. He's not literally speaking of physical sleep. What he is speaking of here is that the unbelievers, the sleeping, is that they are spiritually insensitive to the values and the standards of God. The others who are asleep are indifferent to what is happening in this world in regards to God. There is an unconsciousness to God's plan and calling of the gospel. Or put more as a matter of fact, Paul here is saying that no matter how enlightened the unbelieving world thinks it to be, even with all of it, with its accomplishments and advancements, all of its noblest pursuits of curing diseases, being involved with helping those who are less fortunate, all the investment to make mankind better, to create a type of utopia through the means of philosophy and, and, and politics. All of it is being done with no regard to God. All of it is being done in this habitual state 
and slumber before God. Meaning that it's adding nothing to their souls before him. It lays not a hand upon eternity at all. Eternity with God. Rather, they are on this course asleep, unaware of the destruction that is going to come upon them that is looming right above them. And through this sleeping or misconception, delusional understanding of God and his ways and values, or really with no regard to God, maybe they're made-up gods, they're just adding to their sin before the Almighty God to be judged in this lethargic, prayerless sleep of life. And more to the point, Paul is just basically saying their lives are characterized as sleeping because they are just wasting their time. Their lives are purposeless, meaningless, and are accomplishing nothing before God, and their end is just judgment for their soul. So Paul then says, let us not sleep like the world of unbelievers with, with their lives, but rather be the very opposite. Let us, let us keep awake. So in contrast, then, this means that as believers now, as children of light, as children of the day, we are now called to be continuously awake. Or more specifically, we have been freed and chained to be spiritually awake and to have a spiritual alertness and a watchfulness of this world around us at all times. Basically, this means that the that in light of Christ's return, then, everything we see in this world has a purpose. And we're called to see it and interact with it and speak of it as such. Because see, if Christ is coming back to judge all things, that means everything we see, everything we're involved with, has a direction, has a use, has a value, has a goal to be used for the glory of God, used according to his ways and his purposes. We are called to be awake now as his children and not pursue sleep in anything before God. We're called to be spiritually awake to life. This means awake to events in the world, awake to our relationships, awake to our habits, awake to our sports that we like, awake to our jobs, awake to our schooling, awake to things we find pleasure in, awake to our thought patterns of how we think, awake with our words that come out of our mouth, awake with the emotions that come about within us, awake to even the clothes we wear, awake to even the very things we eat. All things, all persons, are to be interacted with according to the ways of God, God's standards, God's purpose, God's glory. That's what it means to be awake. And if you think I'm being a bit extreme here, especially talking about food and clothing, well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, all to the glory of God. He says, whatever you do, 
which covers everything about you and me. So all of it, all of life, we are not to be asleep to any of it now, but rather we are to be spiritually awake to all of it before God and not fall asleep, meaning following after the world's standards and purposes of things or people, which in the end just are about glorifying man and not God. See, Paul is saying we have been created anew. We have been freed to see the truth about our world and how we should live in it. For the world, everything that it is, it all finds its meaning in the God of the Bible. He is the creator of everything. And all things are owned by him. So he gets to define all things to his ways, his purpose, and his glory. We are called then to be awake to this and are called to live and abound in this world as Christians, as one theologian said, thinking God's thoughts after him. See, we're awake now to learn about God's creation learning and discovering through the word of God the right way of relating to it, the right way of relating to the people around us, no matter who they are. There is a creation to learn about. There is a right right way of having relationships. There is a right way of living in this world. And now, and we can know it because we are now awoken by faith in Christ. We have been pulled out of the power of slumber, Elder. We have been freed to flourish now in this world by glorifying God and all that we interact with, interact with. And to be practical here for a moment so you can see what I mean here by being awake as compared to being asleep, it's this. Okay, this, is, this would be being awake. Where the world worries, we're called to pray. Where the world says there is no truth, we're called to declare the truth and wait. Where the world says you define who you are, we say we're defined in Christ. Where the world lives in fear, we live in the hope of Jesus. Where the world is burdened by hardship, We see hardship as a blessing to know Jesus and his power in it. When the world says, game over, you're done, we say, no, we have victory in Jesus. When the world says, death is the end, we proclaim the eternal life in Jesus by faith in him alone. For again, We are now awake to see all of life, to see our lives building to the day of Jesus' return so that we can glorify him with everything. So Paul here then is up, up to this point has been encouraging us to keep awake, meaning to have everything we do, we say, we invest in whatever it is to be done in light of Christ coming back. To do all things for his glory, no matter what it is. It doesn't matter how small or piddly you think something is. Keeping awake and not slumbering, meaning not doing things according to man's ways for man's glory and not God's alone. Now, on top of then of being awake, Paul adds 
and be sober at the end of verse 6. But for our context and of understanding this word, I'm going to read through verse 7 into the beginning of verse 8, because Paul here repeat, uh, repeats that phrase, be sober, again. And apparent, so that means that it's a very important truth to remember when we're living our lives currently in light of Christ's return. So Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. And since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Now, Paul is getting, what Paul is getting at here is more than him just saying, don't be an alcoholic and don't be a drug addict, okay? Don't do those things, okay? Don't pursue such things. It's, it's useless. It will accomplish nothing. It will just gonna, it's just going to destroy you and break you. But when we're looking at this context then, with Paul speaking about sleeping and getting drunk at night, he's obviously using analogies. He's using examples to drive in a greater point. So sleeping, right, is viewed as having a spiritual indifference towards God and his ways. And being drunk, then, would be that non-believers are intoxicated with things in this present world. They are obsessed and overtaken with things in this world to skew their judgment. And it skews how they live. So just like people live at times to get drunk at night after a long day or go to the bar after a hard weekend thinking that drunkenness will bring life, bring fulfillment, bring a sense of relief, bring rescue. Paul says non, he's characterizing non-believers as always living at night in the darkness and always being drunk and intoxicated with pursuing things such as fame, politics, influence, materialism, sexual pleasure, money, or maybe, you know, suppose, you know, seemingly good things, the ideal family, the next big thing, or whoever or whatever, whatever this next, thinking that it's going to bring rescue, thinking it's going to bring relief. They become intoxicated in building up their treasures here on earth because life becomes ultimately all about self. And so Paul here is encouraging and exhorting the Thessalonians and us to not get caught up or intoxicated or drunk with the world affairs as we live upon this earth. We are to be sober in regards to all of it, in regards to life, meaning we need to have a soberness in seeing what we are starting to be intoxicated with or what we are already intoxicated with in regards to the world's ways. Thinking that somehow it's going to bring us relief in this world in addition to Jesus. Jesus and, and that's never the case. It's just Jesus. We need to have a sober outlook on our life because the world will see your potential or current intoxication with whatever that is, and it will pull you more into it to skew your judgments in this world in regards to living for Jesus in light of his return. 
Sadly, in today's world, it's all too easy to become drunk or intoxicated with politics rather than the gospel and the coming judgment of God. The smell is radiant. Politics as compared to the gospel, wherever you go. In today's world, it's all too easy to become intoxicated with personal rights rather than the one who laid down his rights to save you, to save us, and is coming back to make things all right. If the smell is all about you, In today's world, it's all too easy to become intoxicated with self and personal needs rather than focus on the one who was selfless and put your needs above his own so that you don't have to face the wrath to come. This intoxication of just being all about you, the smell becomes putrid in your life rather than saying, I have been free. And be free too because Christ is coming. Now, is Paul saying it's wrong to look after yourself at all or to speak about politics at all? Is he saying it's wrong to, to, to do that? No. What he is saying is we are called to be sober with it and not let it intoxicate you where that's all you're drinking rather than the gospel of life. Just smother all over you, drooling, alcohol everywhere, whatever that is, rather than the wonder of the gospel just shining through you. We're called not to let the world intoxicate us because it will skew your judgment in living to the glory of God. It will skew you to live for man or for self. We need to remember that Christ is coming back. Right? This is, this is the way we need to be sober with our lives. Christ is coming back. And guess what? He has everything you need. And guess what? He will provide everything you need in this life. Guess what? He is in control of the world, and it's going according to his plan. And guess what? He is going to return to make all things right. Not you. You're not going to kick the devil out of the world. He is. He is the answer this world always needs and is the answer you always need. And Jesus speaks about this soberness of life really well. He puts it in a great perspective. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 33. Yes, we're going to read it. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. This is where Jesus talks about a good example of how to be sober with life. Putting things in perspective. He says this, verse 19. Do not lay for yourselves treasures on earth where, the moth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then light, if, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For he either will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which, and which of you, which of you, I'm going to say it, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan, or to a span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, non-believers, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Being sober. Now, looking back here real quick at verses five, uh, chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 in Thessalonians, Paul, uh, notice, I want you to notice something. Paul has been encouraging them, right, to not sleep like the world, not get drunk like the world. You know what that means? They, there were sinful things they were struggling with that they were being intoxicated with in their life in place of Christ in certain areas of their life. These weren't perfect people. But also notice here that Paul does not say they were any less Christian. For he includes himself with them by saying twice in verse 6, let us. And then in verse 8, he says, since we belong to the day, including himself again. For, for he knows their struggles because he himself was a sinner just like them. And he struggled with such things just like them. So the encouragement he's giving to them, he's giving to himself, just like I'm doing with you. You think I'm preaching at you, I'm preaching at myself. In fact, Paul here says later in his life that he is the biggest sinner that he knew. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, 
He says, this saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So what does this mean then for you and me? Well, it means that if you have faith in Christ, and you are struggling with some intoxicating sin in your life, and you are living or interacting with the world's ways interacting according to the world's ways and the world's standards and not to God's glory with something in your life, which I guarantee you are. You're going to soon find out because the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you because he loves you too much to leave you there. You're a sinner always in need of grace. Guess what? When this is revealed or you know about it already, Know this, you're still a child of light and you are dearly loved by God. Even with that struggle and intoxication. You are, you are called then to think about the truth of Christ's return, knowing that it will be a good day for you, even if you have not been living a good life for him. That's what Paul's trying to get at here in hopes that this truth will empower you and me to flee from our sin and run to Jesus all the more by faith. He hopes that this will empower you to see just what Christ has truly accomplished for you, that you are, that your whole life is covered by his blood and you are his forever, so that when you think upon the return of Christ, you will see it in light of the gospel and understand that it's truly finished for you by faith in him. And he is looking forward to see you on that day when he returns unexpectedly. And as a consequence of, of believing such a truth, that you will want then to live in gratitude by following after his ways in light of his intimate return. So that when you're confronted with this intoxicating sin of, of or, uh, intoxicating thing of pain, maybe intoxicating broken relationship or intoxicating worry or fear or whatever it is, rather than reaching for the vain comfort of sin in that moment, you will rather see in the light of Christ and look to him and know that he is the rescue that you need. He is the relief that you're looking for and he is the comfort that you long for. And so then in that moment, you will react in accordance to his ways in light of his return to his glory. But guess what? Even if you fail at this, the gospel's good news you go home in this week and you still struggle and you say, oh God, I did it again. Christ still loves you. You are his by grace through faith alone. And guess what? Even then, in that moment, you can still look forward to Christ coming back and seeing him on that day because it is truly finished over you by faith in Christ. So let us go now to the Lord prayer and thank him for the wonder of his word. The deacons will come up here if you want to pray with them. And they'll be up here too after the service if you want to pray with them. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as sinners in need of grace. We come before you today asking, Lord, that you reveal our sins to us so that we can turn from them to trust in you, to know that we have already been forgiven. Lord, we are coming you to you to today asking that you help us see the intoxications that we have in this life. Help us to be awake 
so that we can see things with true accuracy and that we can encourage one another, too, to see things that way, to know that you are in here. And Lord, if someone doesn't know you here today, I pray that right now they come to know you and say, God, I need a Savior, and they put their faith in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing us to be saved and not doomed to hell. We pray this in your son's name.